You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Today on Campus Beat, we're focusing on Ignite, research stories to inspire generations. This recently launched series features a community atmosphere designated to highlight the research taking place at Queen's University. And one of its main goals is getting parents and teachers involved so that youth will see academia as accessible, exciting, and a prospect for the future. Each evening uh, for the series will feature two acclaimed speakers chosen for their accessible presentation style. And today, we'll be chatting with Professor Laura Murray from the Department of English and Professor John Small from the Department of Biology, along with uh, Mark Richardson, who is the Education and Outreach Officer for the Arthur B. MacDonald Canadian Astroparticle Physics Research Institute, uh, about the upcoming Ignite Research Stories to Inspire Generations event taking place at the Isabel Bader Centre for the Performing Arts on January 31st, 2019, here at Queen's University. So uh, we'll hear from Professors Murray and Small shortly. But uh, first, we are going to have a, have a listen to a chat that I had with Mark Richardson. Here we are. All right, I am welcoming Mark Richardson, the Education and Outreach Officer for the Arthur B. MacDonald Canadian Astroparticle Physics Research Institute, now in studio with me. Hi there. Hello. That's quite the mouthful for that title. Yes, it is. And we we often just refer to it as the MacDonald Institute, um, kind of in honor of Arthur B. MacDonald, um, who is an astroparticle physicist that won the Nobel Prize, and we're kind of named after him. Indeed. So uh, tell us about uh, the Research Institute, or the McDonald Institute, and your role there. Okay, so I'm the Education Outreach Officer in the McDonald Institute, and that means I my portfolio is kind of to develop um, any kind of educational programs, um, be it for the public or for the department or for Canadian astroparticle physicists uh, abroad, um, so anywhere in Canada. And that really kind of comes back to what the McDonald Institute is. Um, it's an effort to really make uh, Canada... Um, known for being uh, among the best in particle astrophysics. And the way to do that is really to work together. And so the McDonald Institute is bringing together multiple institutes, um, multiple universities and research labs across Canada to really make sure that everybody's working together so that we can be the best that we can be. All right. So there is an upcoming event. Uh, I believe it's the second in the series, the Ignite Research Stories to Inspire Generations series. Mm-hmm. This is the second round, I understand. That's right. Our inaugural event was back in November. Indeed. And uh, this event is coming up at the Isabel Bader Center for the Performing Arts. <laughs> so <laughs> there's many, many large titles. <laughs> uh, so it's happening at the Isabel on uh, January 31st. And yeah, we have Professor uh, Laura Murray from the Department of English and Professor John Small from uh, the Department of Biology mm-hmm. um, giving presentations. Can you tell us a little bit about Ignite Research Stories to Inspire Generations and what inspired the series? Right. So um, 
a lot of what I do is relating to the astroparticle of physics. And so many probably out there are scratching their heads like, so why are we having uh, Laura Murray and John Small? And that's because we don't think um, our, our responsibility is only to kind of move forward uh, this kind of physics. We really want people to get excited about science in general. If more people are excited about science, then, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like a trickle-down effect. And the hope is that... Um, Everybody's more informed when they're making policy decisions. People are more excited about science when they're voting for politicians. People are coming out to events and learning more. And as a whole, culturally, we're becoming, um, I don't know, I think that means we're becoming better, but that's to each uh, of your <laughs> value uh, statements. Um, okay, so um, what that means is we're kind of scratching our heads about ways that we can have even a bigger impact in Kingston, um, maybe uh, uh, when you're taking a cab and you ask them, what do you think about Queens? The first thing that comes to his mind is not Aberdeen Street. Um, it's about some of the amazing science that we do. And so, yes, there's amazing science in the McDonald Institute, but there's amazing science across all of Queens. And so we saw Ignite as a way of really um, showcasing this wealth of amazing science that's being done in all the different institutes and all the different researches. It goes even beyond science, right? Um, the research that we're doing and how that could be used to kind of trigger that little bit of inspiration, particularly in younger minds. I think growing up, we, we are notorious for just asking why, why, why? And um, maybe that is beaten out of us a little bit. Um, and we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. We want everybody to keep asking why. When you ask why is when you find out new things about how this world works, how the universe works, how we culturally work. And I think that's how we grow, by learning. Um, so this is, this is what all comes down to Ignite. It's an ability to really bring Kingston together with the people doing research at Queens to show all these little avenues that you can kind of pursue these why questions and hopefully there's a little bit for everybody, um, that we can just get everybody excited in the way that speaks to them. And maybe they can think about ways that they could be doing research in a couple years or many years, depending on where they are in their life. Wonderful. Now, I like the way that you talked about uh, science being uh, not simply at uh, the McDonald Institute, but across the university as a whole. And this is actually quite telling because uh, with the upcoming uh, event at the Isabel on January 31st, I see that Professor Laura Murray, who is in from the Department of English, will be uh, mm -hmm. making a presentation. But I understand last fall, Jacqueline Duffin, Professor mm -hmm. Jacqueline Duffin from the Department of History was also there. So I'm interested to hear about uh, why the um, Institute uh, engages scholars or has scholars engage the public uh, that are outside of astroparticle physics and the sciences, they're certainly the STEMs. I think, I think it comes back to the why, the, the ability to pursue a line of questions and whether that's, um, so Laura Murray asking questions about what, what happened here in Kingston um, not too long ago, what, what is the story here and, and pursuing those lines of questions and who were being, who, what, what people were being influenced in this area, or uh, with Jacqueline Duffin um, asking, like, why, why, why did this person um, survive this disease? And then, oh, somebody prayed, uh, she prayed to this uh, to this woman, and how did that lead to th that becoming, I think, the first woman that got sainthood? Um, and so, kind of these interesting opportunities that people have in asking these why questions, um, and so engaging everybody. Uh, I think you know diversity in any respect is, is great. I get to understand now how these why questions get pursued in these other fields. Um, and, and that's not something that I necessarily see when I'm locked in an astroparticle um, line of research. 
So who are your audiences for this event, Ignite Research Stories to Inspire Generations? So our audience is anybody in Kingston. I think we are really, really pushing for people, um, for younger audiences. So uh, high school students, middle school students, um, really where you're still asking why, where kids are still pretty excited about understanding things. Um, I think we always are excited, but we get a little bit... um, set into uh, with with our, our classes and whatnot to kind of having the standard uh, standard way that we we learn and we want to make sure that people kind of keep in mind from an early age that there's there's other ways to pursue this and and the universities I think where uh, you know there's a lot of opportunities that we're showcasing um, so we always you know we're talking about the the different professors that are involved at the ignite event but we always make a focus of bringing out students that get a chance to say words so we had some undergraduate students at the first event we have graduate students coming out this time um, to talk about their work and that's really again to really connect um, kind of those experiences with our younger audiences that we hope come out and so they see you know not just what does somebody do once they're a professor but what is somebody doing when they're in their first year university how do they start engaging with this research um, a field like how how does how do you get into research um, and so that's that's why we bring out those students um, to really speak to those younger audiences and and as such that that's that's our target audience um, but we we welcome everybody. All right, Mark. So uh, tell us about uh, the McDonald Institute's partnerships that have allowed Ignite to happen. Right. Thank you. Um, so these partnerships are, are pretty important. Um, like we said, this is a free event. And so without partnerships, we, we just can't make this happen. So our main partnership between the McDonald Institute is with University Relations. Um, both uh, financially, they're helping us, but they're helping us a lot with the planning. And um, without, I think, you know, this is something that we're showcasing all of the research across the university. And so they were quite excited to get involved. And, and so it's been a very, very good partnership. Excellent. Okay. And- And uh, where can people find more information about uh, the event? Is it free? It is a free event, um, so anybody can just come. If it's useful to us, if we have a rough idea of who's coming, so I recommend people go to McDonaldInstitute.ca/ignite, and that has more information about the event, including a place you could pre-register, and that tells us that you're planning on coming, and then we we can be all the better ready for for your coming. Um, uh, There's more event that that links to the Eventbrite page, and so there's more information there. We're also on Facebook, so the McDonald Institute on Facebook, and we have an event there, and we're we're always tweeting. Um, And so there's multiple ways that you could could get uh, more information about this. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mark Richardson. Again, the Education and Outreach Officer for the Arthur B. McDonald Canadian Astroparticle Physics Research Institute, or the McDonald Institute. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope everybody gets to come out on Thursday and have a good time. Thank you very much. Do you want to help shape your community? Volunteer for one of the City of Kingston advisory committees now seeking informed advice from committed Kingstonians. The City is seeking new members for the following advisory committees, Heritage Kingston, Rural Advisory Committee, and Planning Advisory Working Group, First People's Representative. Those interested in serving must be 18 years or older, a resident slash business owner in Kingston, and either be a Canadian citizen or a permanent resident, a person who has been given permanent resident status by immigrating to Canada but is not a Canadian citizen and has resided in Kingston for at least one year. Apply by February 8th at 4.30pm online at www.cityofkingston.ca forward slash committees or at the City Clerk's Office at City Hall located at 216 Ontario Street.
And that was a great conversation that uh, we had with Mark Richardson from the McDonald Institute. Uh, coming up right now, we have uh, a conversation with Professor Laura Murray in the Department of English here at Queen's University, whose presentation, History at Home, Community Research in Action in Kingston, will be featured at the Ignite Research Stories to Inspire Generations event happening at the Isabel Bader Center for the Performing Arts on January 31st. So here's our conversation with Dr. Murray. So you are here today to uh, talk a little bit about the uh, upcoming presentation you'll be making with Ignite Research Stories to Inspire Generations taking place at the Isabel Bader Center for Performing Arts uh, on January 31st. But before talking about your presentation, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, perhaps your areas of teaching and the research you do in the Department of English here at Queen's University? Yeah, well, at the moment, all my teaching is uh, about 19th century New York City. So that's quite far from what I'll be talking about on Thursday, but it's one of my passions. I have diverse research interests, and, and this is one of them. I'm geeking out with Walt Whitman and so on with those students uh, this term. Um, but I also uh, have done a lot of research in uh, cultural policy and copyright and uh, a lot of historical stuff, especially to do with indigenous histories and histories of colonialism. So it sounds like you have your hands in, uh, or many hats right now in terms of research, a lot of different projects going on. How do you manage to keep focused when you have a lot of different research interests? Uh, <laughs> it's hard. Um, but on the other hand, I seem to thrive with it or I wouldn't do it. And I guess I find that uh, there are just different things that satisfy me and different things that I can contribute with the different projects. So so I, you know, there's sometimes when I have to shut some of them down and do one thing and not the other. Um, I don't have an easy answer to that question. <laughs> and perhaps many professors don't. Um, can you tell us about the presentation that you will be making uh, for the Ignite series on January 31st? Yeah, I'll be talking about the Swamp Ward and Inner Harbor History Project. That's quite a mouthful. Uh, I just call it SWEEP. But uh, this is a project that looks into the social history of an area of Kingston, north of Princess Street, that uh, has been neglected by the powers that be, I guess, in the heritage and history world. And and uh, I've had the, the good fortune to work with CFRC in the past on this to develop a series of podcasts. And uh, this, I was asked to give this talk, I guess, with the idea of a general public to talk about why the work is interesting um, beyond kind of a specialist world. And I think by nature it is. It's... Uh, research I do in collaboration with community members. And uh, so I'll show pictures of it and uh, play a little bit of audio and, and try and give people a sense of how a project like this evolves. Wonderful. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about accessible research? Uh, part of the uh, inspiration I, in I understand with Ignite Research Stories to inspire generations is that uh, one of the goals is to get parents and teachers involved so that youth see academia as accessible, exciting, and a prospect for the future. So what is? tell us more about accessible research and perhaps can you tell us some of the ways that you practice this true art and craft of making your research accept, accessible to anyone, including younger generations? Yeah, uh, I'll be curious to see how this event goes and who comes to it. Um, 
again, depending on the weather as well. But uh, I guess that a lot of kids have the impression that school is all about listening to what other people say, memorizing it and regurgitating it. Alas, you know, I think that a lot of us do spend a lot of time having to do that in school. And I think it's unfortunate that it takes many, many, many years of surviving school before you often get to do things that you want to initiate and that you really have a burning desire to do. Um, but uh, I guess, you know, it's good to give people a taste of that. And of course, it would be good if we can integrate it into our teaching at the earlier levels. Um, Anyway, accessible research for me isn't so much about sharing the arcane stuff we do in the university in a dumbed-down version for the general public. I think that's somehow, sometimes, what it ends up being for people. My research is a bit flipped or backwards in that I usually start with people in community and find out what they're interested in and what they want to know and what they have to offer. And then I try to think about what I have to offer them in terms terms of um, access to resources, critical perspectives, time, uh, students to help out, and so on. And then um, I work on that, and then I do that for a while, and then eventually I come up with some kind of academic publication out of it. But I'm, I'm very much interested in in finding knowledge outside the university, because I, I think there's a lot of knowledge outside the university, and uh, it's really satisfying to try and pursue. So in this case, you know, I'm doing interviews with people about their lives and thereby, I think, learning things about the history of this place that are simply not accessible in the archives or in other published work. And in some ways, it's very much a project about the everyday. It's not always revealing grand events or grand issues, but I think that you can see through these interviews all kinds of things about class, about gender expectations, about what community is, about how we inhabit particular spaces that do tie in with larger academic um, concerns um, of uh, ideological critique and so on. But I try not to push that onto the material. I try to kind of stick back and listen. That's often a challenge for me because I like to talk. So when I'm doing these interviews, I have to just shut up and listen and just kind of not try to analyze or judge too quickly. It's, it's a bit antithetical to a lot of styles of academic research, I think. Wonderful. Thank you very much for those insights. Uh, before we sign off with you today, uh, could you tell us uh, or maybe share some uh, words of wisdom for those community members who are not in academia, uh, who might like to pursue research into areas or of interest to them, even outside of academia? Any advice? Well, uh, I guess I can mainly speak to local history in the context of this conversation. And uh, I'm hoping when the new downtown library reopens, I won't say if, but I hope it's soon, um, to run a couple of workshops there. One of them would be on researching the place where you live, and the other might be um, interviewing. I have done public workshops, free wor workshops on how to do oral history interviewing. And uh, I hope to do more of that in the future because uh, it's, uh, it's not that hard a thing to do. I mean, it takes a certain focus and commitment, but in a way, uh, anybody can do it, and uh, I hope to be able to offer more of those workshops. You can look for my website at swampwordhistory.com for any news about upcoming events like that. Thank you very much, Professor Laura Murray, Department of English here at Queen's University. Looking for a research project opportunity this summer? 
Check out the 2019 Undergraduate Student Summer Research Fellowships, which provide opportunities for continuing undergraduate students currently registered at Queen's to develop their research skills under the guidance of a faculty researcher. Students from any discipline may apply, but the research project must be in the social sciences, humanities, or creative arts. A minimum of 19 fellowships of $6,000 each are available on campus for the duration of the four months, May through August 2019. Up to two fellowships of $5,000 are available at the Bader International Study Centre at Hurstmonceau Castle, England, for the duration of three months or May through July 2019. Preference is given to students enrolled in social sciences, humanities, creative arts, or concurrent education programs. The application deadline is Friday, March 1st, 2019. Contact Tracy Allen at allen at queensu.ca for more details or visit funding sources on the University Research Services website. And we hope you enjoyed our conversation with Professor Laura Murray from the Department of English about her upcoming presentation at the Ignite series. And coming up next, we have a conversation with Dr. John Small, the Canada Research Chair in Environmental Change here in the Department of Biology at Queen's University. And uh, his presentation uh, at the Ignite Research Stories to Inspire Generations event happening at the Isabel on January 31st is entitled Back to the Future, Using the Past to Inform Environmental Policy. So here's our conversation with Professor John Small. Before talking about uh, the Ignite Research Stories to Inspire Generations uh, series that you'll be participating in at the Isabel um, the 31st, Dr. Small, can you tell us a little bit about your areas of teaching and research in the Department of Biology? Yeah, well, my research is mainly on lakes, but I specialize in looking at lake histories. And so what we do is we find that many of the problems we have with environmental issues dealing with fresh water, these problems happened in the past. And there's very poor records of what actually happened. So it's very hard to fix a problem without knowing how the problem developed. It's, I use the analogy of, of medicine. First thing you do when you go to a medical doctor is they usually ask for your medical history. Mm-hmm. So, well, lakes can't speak, but they do keep a record in their sediments. It's like a time machine. Uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, sediment or mud is accumulating in the bottom of a lake. That's like a history book of what happened in the lake and the area around it. So our job is to reconstruct how the environment has changed and to interpret that information in that history book at the bottom of a lake that's meaningful to other scientists and also the public at large. Wonderful. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the presentation that you'll be making uh, this on the 31st at the Isabel? Yes. Yeah, so I was going to give two examples um, uh, because you know, we don't, don't have that much time. And I, of course, I work on time scales of decades and centuries, and I'm only given minutes, so I have to be careful <laughs> how, I, how I present this. But I was going to use two separate examples, which I think are to a large extent in the public eye right now. One will be from the oil sands from Western Canada, looking at can we actually track if the oil sands are actually, uh, what, what are they emitting, if they are emitting anything, and is, is it past background levels of, of contaminants. And a second quick example will be looking at how permanent is permafrost. Uh, about half of Canada is Arctic, and a large part of our landmass is under permafrost. With permafrost um, thaw, we're seeing all sorts of changes, and some of these changes affect industries. Some industries have used the permafrost as thinking it's 
you know, and this is the 1970s when it may have seemed reasonable that the permafrost is permanently frozen. But now that it's thawing, uh, we're seeing all sorts of issues arriving in some lake systems. So I'm going to be looking at how uh, climate change is affecting permafrost thaw, which is also affecting some aspects of contaminant transports in Arctic lakes. I'm, this sounds very fascinating to me. And one of the things that I really like uh, about what you're just talking about is how understandable it seemed to be. <laughs> too. You have a really uh, great craft or a really great skill here in terms of being able to talk to non-specialists uh, about your research. Um, what, kinds of, what kinds of practices do you incorporate in your own teaching and research in order to make it accessible to uh, anyone? Well, we try and uh, much of the work I think most scientists can do uh, is is easily explainable to the public. I hear some scientists say, oh, what I do is too complicated and I can never explain it to the public. Well, if you can't explain it to an interested person of why it's important, you probably don't understand what you're doing anyway. So I think <laughs> so, I mean, surely we can. And I, in my view, is the public by and large paid for most of this research in the first place. And I'm kind of surprised that we've gotten away with it without explaining to how we're spending all their money. So I think it's, it's critical. So I think a lot of things can be brought down to, uh, you know, and uh, we're not, I'm, I wouldn't use the words dumbing it down. We're just presenting in a way without jargon, uh, without uh, perhaps understanding all the fundamental formula that might go into something, but still uh, presenting it in a reasonable manner that shows that this is defendable. Uh, to some extent, we are dealing with uh, industries, and we're sort of looking for the smoking gun sometimes, <laughs> because a lot of things have happened in the past, and if people say, well, you know, who knows what that industry did? Well, you know, where there are just almost like detective work, you can actually figure out what happened, and then you can find out, once you know what the problem is, then you can find out how to solve it. If you don't even know you have a problem, how do you even start solving it? And that's been an issue with environmental concerns for many years. So do you have any words of wisdom or inspiration for future generations? who might like to uh, pursue research on their own or in the university at some point? <laughs> yeah, well, research is just, you know, trying to answer questions that you as an interested person find interesting. So it's a, actually a remarkable career to have. Uh, you know, basically, I, to some extent, I do my hobby for a living. I'm really interested in lakes. And I'm interested in nature and ecology. And now I actually can do my hobby and get paid for it. So it's a pretty good, pretty good gig. So I would <laughs> definitely recommend it. Uh, and it really is quite interesting. And you actually, in the same time, you know, I, I talk to lots of people and they say, I really wonder if my job is really worth it. But I never have that problem of worrying if the job's worth it. I, I do think what we are doing important, not, not necessarily what I'm doing important, but the field is doing important. And you have the advantage of, of uh, having a very productive career, that one that you, you can be, you know, you feel enthusiastic about continuing on. I don't ever feel like I'm wasting my time. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And uh, thank you very much, Professor Small, for giving us some of your very valuable time at such a busy time for you. And uh, we look forward to your presentation uh, at Ignite Research Stories to Inspire Generations happening at the Bader, uh, Isabel Bader Center on uh, January 31st. Thank you. Thanks very much. And that brings us to the end of the charts. We had a wonderful time uh, chatting with Professor Laura Murray in the Department of English, Professor John Small in the Department of Biology, and Mark Richardson, Education and Outreach Officer for the Arthur B. MacDonald Canadian Astroparticle Physics Research Institute here at Queen's University in advance of the big event, Ignite Research Stories to Inspire Generations at the Isabel Bader Centre for Performing Arts on January 31st. So check out more information about that event at Mac 
mcdonaldinstitute.ca as well. And thanks once again for tuning into Campus Beat, recorded here at CFRC 101.9 FM, Queen's University Radio. And we're going to sign off now with a lovely single from Amanda Gardier from her album Empathy, and the song is called Giants. Very fitting, as we were just talking to a a couple of giants in research here at Queen's University. So here we are. Let's go. (laughs) 